Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Good morning. I'm impressed this morning with what a beautiful spring day God has blessed us with. I walked a couple of miles this morning. You know, I do that on Sunday mornings, and we have a neighborhood that is uh, good for that. The only problem is that we have other people who walk in the mornings, and I'm practicing my sermon as I go, and I passed a neighbor I don't know today, but he had a dog with him, and they always, those neighbors always hesitate to interrupt me. Now, I'm not talking out loud, mind you. I'm just walking along, preaching to myself, practicing, getting ready, Good morning. Good morning. It impresses me to think about the people through history, the Christians on the Lord's Day mornings who have assembled like we are this morning to worship. It wasn't uncommon through history for them to do so under stress and duress of various kinds. And here we are. And except for the fact that some of us are here grieving today and some have sickness, we are worshiping him with ease. We have comfort. We have one another. We have a beautiful spring day. We have a lot to be thankful for. I cannot think of a reason why we wouldn't be able to offer him the best worship of our lives on days like this. I want you to open God's book, please, to Acts, the second chapter, and I'll meet you there in just a few minutes. Acts chapter 2. I'm blessed in so many ways, and one of those blessings is that I have three brothers-in-law who are preachers. You can imagine how our family reunions go. We sit around and talk about preaching. The other day, one of my brothers-in-law, Scotty Sparks, who preaches for the Meridianville Church, called me and he said, now you know about May 28. Do you? Do you know about May 28? No, I I don't know what you're talking about. Well, he said, neither did I, but I read an article recently about this Sunday coming up, May 28. And do you know that, so far as we can tell, it is the anniversary of the beginning of the church in Acts 2? Well, no, I didn't know that. Well, he said it cannot be proven completely. But scholars are pretty sure that that's when it is. Now, let me go ahead and give you a disclaimer. It it doesn't affect our worship this morning. People have seen fit to try to create special days out of things that like this. And even though I don't know of any particular religion that does this with Pentecost... Um, it's, it's not about that. I, I don't mean to do that. I think that there's another reason that, that I find this interesting, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. But there's some things you can be sure about. You, you know the, the Hebrew calendar will tell you when Passover is. It's the first full moon in the Hebrew calendar month of Nisan, and there's how you calculate Passover. And so we can still do that. And, and of course, it's different because of that. It's different on different years. We also know that, that Pentecost is 50 days after Passover, calculating on the Sabbath days. Now, Pentecost always happens on Sunday because when you go to Leviticus chapter 23, you have 
this. I want you to do seven, count off seven Sabbath days and Pentecost after Passover. And Pentecost is going to be the day after that. It's the fifth, Penny means 50. And so it's the day after that. It's Sunday. So Pentecost is always Sunday. But of course, when that is varies year to year. And what I'm told is that only three or four times in a century does what is happening today happen. It all lines up today. Now let me show you. Let me show you just for your own curiosity some uh, some people who have written about this. Here's McCord, for example. There we go. Hugo McCord in his book Prophecies of the Messiah. He says it rather rather emphatically. Now McCord is is reputed. He's deceased now, but he's among our brethren, and he was reputed as being a great scholar. Jesus began reigning as king of his kingdom in the church on Pentecost, May 28 of 30 A.D. Now, I'm not going to get you down into the weeds, but I mean, this is a really in-depth study. But there's two calendars to work off here, the Roman calendar and then the, the calendar created by the, the people professing Christianity. But they would put Pentecost at May 28, 30th, the 30th year A.D., and what about this one? Take the next one. So here's Erdman's handbook, the 1983 edition. Jesus was born in 4 BC and baptized by John about 27. Then there's a chart that shows the death of Jesus in 30 AD. And then if you get to the bottom, assuming they're right, it confirms May 28th. So you know, you look at the, and there's more. Put up, the, put up the next slide. So you have a list of them here. These are the different ones that you can find, among others, that will say, according to our research, this is the day. Now, nobody's completely sure. It's very much like all of it. And, and when, you, when you study this kind of history, there are very few things that you know for absolute sure, which is amazing to me. When you go to Jerusalem, and I, I've been a couple of times, and I've stood on those southern steps at the temple, and I've preached where we believe Peter preached the sermon in Acts chapter 2. And it's just a profound thing in my life. It's profound. Not because I'm absolutely sure about where he stood. I'm not. And it's interesting because God didn't see fit to give us that kind of history, those kinds of details. I suppose he thought that we would mess it up, and I'm sure he's right, that we would do things with those specifics that we that he really didn't want us to do. I, I think that we've often, in Christendom, we've often done it with dates and specifics, and if we didn't have them, we just made them up, and then we made Christian celebrations of them. And that's not what he wanted. You think about the most egregious example, of course, would be Christmas, and, and as, if, as if people people just assume that, that Jesus was born on the 25th of December. Well, that's not true. I mean, you, you, can, you can do some work on this, and it'll put it at a different time of year, but that was just an, an imagination. Somebody, the Catholics, chose to, to designate that day, and then everybody in the world just about believes it was December 25th. Well, we're not, that's not why I'm raising this. It would be wrong to, to create something from this that's not authorized in Scripture. But here's why I'd raise, when I raise it, is because I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated like standing on those steps in Jerusalem and preaching by, by the notion that, that it was a day like this, 1993 years ago, that, that so far as we can tell, this is when Peter preached that sermon on Pentecost, on that Lord's Day, on the first day of the week. 
I read an article recently about researching your family tree. Take me to the next slide. Researching your family tree. And in that article, you had five different reasons why families ought to do this. You ever do this? You ever spend some time working on your, your genealogy? I've done it. And, and I've gone back, oh, I don't know, a number of generations. And, and especially in the last few, because you can have photographs, which is just wonderful. It wasn't something that people could have before. And so I've got pictures of a lot of my ancestors, many of whom I never met. They died a long time ago. But I can see what they look like. I can tell you some details about them. And what happens is that you, you crave any information that you can get to add to that family tree. And some of you have done this, and you ought to do it. Anyway, in this article by a, a company or an organization called Select Healthy, this is about health, mental health. Do your family tree, they say. Here are the reasons. Number one, because it gives you a sense of identity. I'm not just an individual in the great sea of the human race that floats about aimlessly in this planet. I, I'm connected to some people. I'm connected. To, I, I belong to some people in doing that family tree. And, I, and it'll minimize you in a way because you know that ours is not the only generation. But it'll, it'll bind you to a group of people to whom you belong. Here's number two. It makes you more resilient. You don't have to go back very far before you realize that your people... Some of your people had a real hard time in life. Some of them, some of them really suffered. You'll get back into your people and who went to this war or to that. You'll go through the difficult times of life. And I tell you what it'll do is to, it'll say, you'll say those people had my blood in their veins or vice versa. And you know what? If they could make it through it, so could I. Three, it gives you connection to other people living and dead. There's, there's something, there's something amazing about finding another name. And this was my grandfather's brother. And he lived here. And here's what he did. And I learned maybe what he did for a living. Maybe what part of the country he lived in. And you have this, it sort of transports you back to that time. But it's not just that. I, I go sometimes down into Texas and preach. And, and people sometimes, rarely, but sometimes will walk up to me and say, I knew your grandfather. Well, my grandfather died when I was about eight. I have scant memories of my grandfather. He was a gospel preacher. And sometimes I'll take down his Bible and I'll preach from his Bible because that belonged to him. And so I'm sentimental about that. But when I have somebody come and say, I knew your grandfather, you know what my interest, I want to know everything you know. Don't, don't leave anything out. What can you remember? Where do you remember seeing him? What did, how did you interact with him? What do you remember about his preaching? I want to know everything I can about that man's life because... Well, he's my grandfather. I want to know all I can about him. It will give you a connectedness. Number four, makes you a better person. I believe that's true. And if you're, if in your, if your history has, and you will find some horse thieves, you will. We, we have somebody back in our family, you know, they were, uh, my people were preachers and in the collies, we were preachers back through there. And there was one who I never met and, it, it is said in our family folklore that he performed a wedding ceremony going 70 miles an hour down the road with a couple of the car with him. Now, I don't, I'm sure there's a backstory to that. I don't really want to know about that. I don't know. But you're going to find some strange things. Having said that, the bad things in your history, you're going to want to make better. You don't want to be like these people or these people or these. You don't. 
There, there, there are people, I mean, you may find some, find some awful things in your history. If you're, you may, you'll find some wonderful things. And it, it, it makes you want to emulate the good. I want to make my name better than it was when I got it. And then here's the fifth one. It'll make you a healthier person. Now what this has to do with, and you know where I'm going. You just read that list and you know where I'm going with this. But healthier person, when you go to the doctor now and you want to become a new patient of the doctor, what he's going to do or she's going to do is to make you fill out a form of family history. How did your grandparents die? And how, did your parents have these diseases? Which ones? And what about your siblings? want to know all about that because we know that genes... There's a lot about, about living healthy as connected to your, your family. All right, hold the thought. The Bible is abundant in passages that describe the church in different terminology, various ones, as my family. Keith preached last Sunday night, did a terrific job, talked about my people and finding my people. So this can segue, that can segue to this. The Bible describes our people. Let me show you just a handful of these passages. So here's Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. Next slide. There we go. I mean 219. Now therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. Talking to the, to, the, to the Gentiles, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Get it now. You're part of the household of God. What does that mean? You're in the family. That's what it means. Well, turn a couple of pages. You get to, to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15. This reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I love this. For whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. It's not inappropriate for us to talk about the church as our family. That's what the Bible encourages us to do. We are connected and we are a family. What I like about this is it's not just on earth, it's in heaven. I've got family members in heaven. I've got family members here on earth because I'm in Christ. Now here's 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father's bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Who's that? Christians? It's about Christians. Therefore, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God. You know what that says? That says he's our father and you and I are his children. We're part of the same family. What about, what about John chapter 17, shortly before Jesus died? And he's praying to the father. And I don't pray for these alone. Not just for the, these, these disciples who are around me or the apostles. Not just for them but for people who will believe on me through their word. Now, that's you and me. That they may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. What do you call that? The answer is you call it the household of God. Well, the answer is you call it the family of God that's here on earth, and there's a family we have family members in heaven, and all that is the... Fa- it's, it's very much like Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, 6 and verse 10. Do good unto all men, but especially to them of the household of faith. Somebody comes and they says, we need your help. Well, we're going to help them. We're going to try to help them if we can. But if somebody comes and says, I'm your brother in Christ, I'm your sister in Christ, and they really are, that, uh, that's a different level, isn't it? Because you're family. 
your, your family. One of my favorites is Genesis chapter 25 and verse 8. And the Bible is talking about the death of Abraham. Do you remember what it says? That Abraham was gathered, he died, and he was gathered to his people. <laughs> Who do you suppose that is? May I ask you a question? Who are your people? Who are your people? And the answer is, it's the righteous, it's the people of God. The answer is, it's Christians who have gone on before you. Those are your people. Now hold that for a second, and now let's go to Acts, the second chapter. I'm, I'm interested in the fact that, that, that scholars have speculated, strongly speculated, that today everything lines up, that this, so far as we can tell, is the day on which Pentecost, the beginning of the church, occurred. I'm interested in all of that because this is my family. We raise our children to understand that these greats of the, of the Bible, of Scripture, are their heroes. These Christians that were made in the chapter of two, for, for a chapter two of Acts, that these, these are our brothers and sisters. And we don't take that lightly. And, and calling somebody brother must not degenerate down to some title that we use for preachers. It can't just be that. Preachers don't have titles, not in Scripture. It's real. It's that we're a family. It's that we, we're connected. We're kin in Christ. Now, here's a breakdown of Acts chapter 2, and I want to just do a, an overview of it. It's in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, Jesus, just before he ascended back to the Father, said, Now you go, or you stay in Jerusalem. You wait here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, that's just about to happen. So you come over to Acts chapter 2. When you read about the audience, verses 7 through 12, there are 15 different groups of Jews. They're scattered, you know, and the Jews live all different places. But they come there. They've come not because they're interested in becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. They've come there because it's Pentecost. It's a major Jewish feast, and they're from all over. It's while they're there that they encounter Peter and those other apostles. Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya adjoining Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians, Arabs. There were 15. Those were the people. And this was a miraculous day. When, when our family, if you please, when the church had its birth, it was a miraculous day. Why is that important? It's important because God had to put his stamp of approval. It isn't just that some religion started on that day. And I'll tell you something else too. I mean, it starts in Jerusalem. You, you, you talk to people today. Have you studied your church do you know where it had its beginning? And if the answer is anything but Jerusalem, it's not the right place. We, we started in New York. We started in, in London. We started in Missouri. Excuse me, but that's not the right one. You, you got the wrong one. You're, that's not the family you need to be a part of. You need to be a part of the one that, that you read about in your New Testament. And it started in Jerusalem. Here's Luke chapter 24 and verse 46. Now remember that the end of Luke, Luke ends where Acts begins. Thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise again the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Ready for this? Beginning at Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. And it's, it's the Holy Spirit. 
And the Bible says in the first part of our chapter that those apostles spoke with tongues, languages which they had never studied. People knew it. They knew that something miraculous was going on here. That was the purpose of miracles. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 2 and 3. And it says those miracles were given to confirm the word. So it did. So people who listened looked and they knew, they knew that this was from heaven. Now, Peter's sermon, I'm not going to read the sermon, but it had three major points. The first point is that Jesus performed miracles. And he added this clause then. Peter adds this clause, as you yourselves also know. Wow. That's that's amazing to me because he's challenging them. He's saying, it's the truth and you know it. Did they know it? Did they know it? Well, apparently they did because he challenges them. And then he talks about David, King David, who is the prophet. And he says, now King David prophesied about one whose, whose body would not be left in the grave, whose body would not see corruption. And it's not, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus Christ who has died. And by the way now, you're at Pentecost and the crucifixion only happened. I mean, it happened less than two months ago, right? It's only recently occurred. And so he says, David wasn't talking about himself. He's talking about the one who was raised from the dead. And then the third point, the major point is Jesus, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And he says then on that occasion, and you know that it's true. When you get to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will write about this and say that Jesus, resurrected from the dead, was seen by above 500 brethren at one time. I don't know how many hundreds of people saw Jesus alive after the cross, but they did. And and, and with good reason, too. It's so that when Peter and the others stood up in Acts chapter 2 on that Sunday, he said he was resurrected from the dead, and you know it. We're witnesses of this thing. You know it's true. Was it true? Was it? You get to down to verse 37, and they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? See, they, they were coming nose to nose with God. They were scared to death of God. But what, they, what they were afraid of is that he would strike them right now because he said, Peter said, You've crucified the Son of God. With wicked hands you have slain him. They knew it. And now listening to this, they acknowledge that it's true. We did see the miracles he performed. We do know that he rose from the dead. We know that is true and he must be God. He must be from heaven. We know it must be true. What shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to listen to those words. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. It's very familiar to us because, again, from Luke 24 and 46, again, thus it is written, thus it behoove Christ to suffer, rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Well, that's what happens in Acts 2. There it is. Be baptized for the remission of sins. And sometimes people quarrel about that. They can't, they just can't believe that that's true. It can't be the case that we're baptized for the remission of sins. Cannot be true. I know it says that. Well, what are you going to do with it? I mean, it's just, it's just not ambiguous. It just says it. How can you, how can you say that's not true? And so here's the wiggle. And the wiggle is that sometimes the word for can mean because of. I'm, 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 I'm giving you this gold watch 
for 40 years of service. Because of. Sometimes we can use it that way. Well, what about this time? Acts 2 and 38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And if you have a margin and you have a paper Bible, you might want to write in the margin there, Matthew 26, verse 28. It's when Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, and he says, This is my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In the Greek language and the English language, it's exactly the same. I'm shedding my blood for the remission of sins. Now ask yourself this question. Did Jesus shed his blood because their sins were already forgiven? Or in order that their sins could be forgiven? Nobody in this room would question that answer. Nobody. You draw a line over there to Acts 2 and verse 38, and it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. That is to say, not because your sins have already been forgiven. We're baptized in order to have our sins forgiven, and thus baptism is essential to our salvation. Now, what happened then? They said, What shall we do? And he said, Repent and be baptized to have your sins washed away, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that 3,000 were baptized on that day, verse 42 says, this is not an end, this is a beginning. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Wait a minute, this is what you and I are doing. Because these are our brothers and sisters and we have the same needs they do. And we're members of the same church they were. Aren't we? Are we? Well, yeah. Well, hold on a minute. What, what denomination were they a member of? The Bible says then in 47 that the Lord added them to his church. Well, what denomination was that? I want, you, I want this to soak in. I want you to think about this. You know, don't you, Noah? Yes, sir. You, what, what denomination were they members of? And the answer is, there won't be any. For, for hundreds of years, there aren't going to be any denominations. It was, it was just the church. It was just the church. Jesus, on this rock, I will build my church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. He was going to build his church, and now it's here. And it's Pentecost, the first Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, repent and be baptized. 3,000 did that, and then they were added to the church. What church is that? You can call it more than one thing. In the scriptures, it's called more than one thing. In Romans 16, 16, it's called the church of Christ. It just means this church that belongs to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, it's called the church of God at Corinth. And in uh, 1 Timothy, it, or 2 Timothy, it's called uh, the, the church, which is the house of God. It means the same thing. But, I, but for the sake of this sermon, I'm going to say this. It's the family of God. Those people obeyed the gospel, and they became part of the family of God. And here we are. If the people who are studying this, these some reputable scholars, are right, then this is a morning that is somewhat familiar to us because it has to do with our family. It has to do with our people. Our people were in Jerusalem. Our people obeyed the gospel. They became Christians that day, disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's do the last slide.
I just want to just want to touch this before I finish. Because it's about our family tree. I don't, I'm not interested in this, this date thing about Pentecost and today, 1993 years, because I want to create something that's not authorized in Scripture about a celebration. That's not my point. My point is that I, I want to know all I can about the New Testament. I want to know. I, I'm not a person who would say, I guess I wouldn't anyway because I'm the preacher, but I wouldn't say, do I, how, many, how many times a week do I have to come to worship? to the assembly, to go to heaven. I, I, would, I would never say that because these are my people. These are my people. This is the family of which I'm a part. And I, and I don't fight against studying the scripture. I don't fight against it or teaching my children about it. You know why? It's because this is my family. It's my family tree. I'm kin to these people through Christ. It gives me a sense of identity. It's a big old wicked world out there. And I tell you what, I got this clear. I mean, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that I'm not of the world. Can you say that in your heart with me right now? I'm not of the world. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm I'm part of a different group of people. My family is not the world. My family is people who follow Jesus Christ. That's my identity. It gives me belonging. That's who I am. It defines me. How are you defined? How are you defined? And if the answer is anything besides I'm defined by the fact that I follow Jesus Christ, you're not there yet. You're not there. It makes you more resilient. Are you kidding? Where do you go? I mean, you you go to Hebrews chapter 12, and he's just listed in Hebrews chapter 11, those faithful people who suffered for the cause of God. And you get to chapter 12, and he says, Wherefore, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let's run with patience the race set before us. What is that? He said, you look at those people in, in Hebrews 11, Noah and, and Moses and Abraham and, and the faithful, they were so faithful and some of them suffered grievously. And, and they're my witnesses. Well, that's this. I'm part of this family. And so I look at them and I think, if, if they can do it, I can do it. If they could hold on and be faithful to God, for the duration of their lives, even under some awful persecution. I can do it. I can do it. It helps you connect with others. Look around you. <laughs> this is your family. Any question about that? I mean, this is, it's, it's who we are. It, and, and we connect, not just with each other in this room. Oh, we do that. Somebody gets up here every service. We'll talk about who's sick. Sometimes people say your name, don't they? Here's who's lost a loved one. How come? It's because we're in the family that's been born again. We're part of that family. Now, we don't read off names out of the phone book. We don't just go down the list and read everybody's name. But, but we're, going to, we're going to read this list. We connect. Makes you a better person. Isn't that the point? And you make good health choices. Let me tell you something about my spiritual health. I read about Demas, about whom Paul, the apostle, said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to be like Demas. I'm going to not do him what he's doing. I'm not going to do that. And I can read about Ananias and Sapphira. I can read about people like that. I'm not going to do that. Now, I understand that they were disciples. 
I understand that they were Christians, but I also understand the choices they made and what happened to them. And I don't want a part of that. And I learned that. That's why I would argue those names are in the Bible. I, I read about the Apostle Paul. I, I read about Joseph in the Old Testament. I read about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Anna. The, and I, I read about wonderful people, lovely people, Lydia, wonderful, good people. These people are my family. These are my ancestors. It's who, who it's, it just defines me. It helps me make good health choices. I know who to be like, who not to be like. Well, there you are. So my brother-in-law, with whom I have a lot of fun, but we talk about preaching. That's what, you know, when we meet up, what are you preaching Sunday? Really? Oh, that's interesting. Good, good. What are you preaching? Good. And the last time I talked to him, he said, do you know about May 28th? He said, I read an article. I said, I've never thought of that before. No, I don't know about that. And then we started studying it and dig, digging deeper into it, and I think it's very fascinating. It's probably true. I, I can't say for 100%. But what I can say is, anything about my family, I find very interesting. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.